The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Whiplash. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? Just a Monster and a Gatorade. All right. Also with us is Mugga. What up, Mugs? Yo. What are you drinking? I, too, have a Monster. Zero, though. Zero sugar. Zero whatever. It's like the O'Doul's of energy drinks. That's what Jason (laughs) and I say. (laughs) And uh, rounding out the panel today is Eric. What up, Eric? Hey, how's it going, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking? Good old H2O. Perfect. Sounds great. We do not consume alcohol in the mornings. Uh, (laughs) Not not today, anyway. Uh, But we are talking about Whiplash today. Released October 10th, 2014. It stars Miles Teller, J.K. Simmons, Paul Reiser, and uh, Melissa Benoit. It's written and directed by Damien Chazelle and it's distributed by Sony Pictures. Uh, so let's talk about our experience with this movie. Mugga, what is your experience? So it was, I think it was a Saturday night, right, Jay? Or Friday night? We, we had been drinking somewhere and yeah. Jason wanted to come here and I think you were waiting for Elizabeth, or something we were in a hurry, where he just wanted me to watch the like first opening scene. And it, it caught my attention. I'm not gonna lie, but I'm like Jason. Like now is not the time to watch a serious movie. I don't think we were talking in English. I think we were talking in tongue. You know, we were just hammered. But he was really adamant about it. But I wanted to watch it. So then when we put this on, um, this is literally the first actual full movie that Lindy and I have watched in my movie theater. So it's kind of cool. I watched it with my uh, with my wife. Um, just want to bring up. My, I know we're not supposed to get into our trash and treasures, but this is the first time this has ever happened. When I'm watching a movie, you guys have like a list where you do trash and treasure, right? I'm watching the movie. I'm so engaged. I'm writing down. And at the very end, I look, I have no trash at the end. I was like, what the hell, dude? It was that entertaining. But my wife, she has like anxiety issues. It was so intense that she almost wanted to get up and leave because the guy, when he's doing, I don't know, it's kind of a weird experience, but it's just a very, very intense movie. But yet there's not one gunshot, not one fight, you know, it's really crazy. But yeah, that was my experience in in the movie theater with my wife. It's just a great movie. Eric, what's your experience so I watched this uh, with Erica. We made a nice steak dinner, uh, split a bottle of wine, and enjoyed this movie. I mean, I, I really like this movie, but I, I agree, like, the tension did not really break the entire time. So, like, anxiety levels were, were high, but I still really enjoyed the movie. Uh, my experience, I think the first time I watched this movie, we're at uh, Jason's house. We're all drinking, um, and we're getting ready to leave, and it's like 11 at night, and uh, Jason's talking about like Whiplash, and it's just like, oh yeah, I know about that movie, it's about the, the drummer dude, right? And he's like, no, no, like you have to watch like, like the opening of it. So we watched the opening, we're only supposed to just watch the opening. It's like us, us three and a few other people. And then, you know, we look up and it's like 1 a.m. And we'd finished the whole movie before we'd even realized it. So that movie was crazy, crazy good. And then uh, for this podcast, I rented it again. I should have bought it, honestly. I should have bought it too. I'm yeah. going to watch this again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to buy it like yeah. this weekend. But yeah, that's my experience. Uh, thank you, Jason. Uh, and uh, Jason, what is your experience? So I, I know that like Netflix, every time that like the Oscars come around, they like put some of the movies, the, the less known movies, like on Netflix for you to watch. And I found out about this probably in like 2016, but I always remember like hearing about this movie. And so I was trying to like, I saw them do it again. I was like, oh, I wonder if it's just Oscars from this year or is it past Oscars too? So I was looking, they didn't have it. So I went on Amazon and uh, they had some deal. So I just bought it. Yeah. So that's why I own it. But um, I watched it and 
I watched it on my own the first time and I was like, not knowing really what to expect. Like I recognized Miles Teller and I was like, okay, JK Simmons this is cool. But it was, I just watched it on my own at my house and I was like, holy crap, this is like really intense. And like you guys said, like the tension doesn't break. And of course it's about drumming. So I was really intrigued and JK Simmons just, you know, kills this role. So it was really intriguing. That's why I always wanted you guys to just watch it. I feel like every time, I brought it up multiple times, you guys are like, eh, yeah, I don't know. So, so, so this is your oblivion. That's, I was just going to yeah. say, this is your oblivion. This is my oblivion, yeah. I mean, I didn't walk people one in, one by one into my room uh, during opening day of you football. Should've. You should have. Uh, in the dark to watch the opening scene, but I did bring it up probably as much as Mugger brought up oblivion. So yeah, this is my oblivion, but that's my experience. All right. Uh, so before we get into behind the scenes, uh, Mugger hit us with the financials. So again, Jason put me on this movie. I knew nothing about it. Um, I watched it first before I did the financial research and other stuff that I got. I was very surprised when I started doing the numbers. This movie had a budget of only $3.3 million, which for them to put that out there for that much money is pretty insane to me. Um, uh, opening theaters, um, it only was in six theaters on its opening weekend, and it made $135,000, a little more than that. Um, so it did make some money. Um, I don't know if that's what they were going for, but uh, it made $13 million uh, domestically and a little over, sorry, a little under $36 million um, uh, internationally. So worldwide, this brought in $49 million, which I thought is a success considering, but I think they were going for more of the art. I mean, this wasn't supposed to be a, you know, a box office, um, but I had to look really hard to try to find out where it land. It was number 33 the weekend it came out. There's so many movies. I don't know if you guys obviously want me to go through all of them. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy was in at number 12 at the time. Um, at number one, you had Gone Girl. There was other stuff like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and so on, but um, it was successfully, sorry, it was um, uh, financially successful, but uh, again, I think with the budget, I don't know if they marked that well, but yeah, it was number 33 opening weekend, but but yeah, only $3.3 million to make. I thought that was insane. Uh, Jason, what did the people think of this movie? Just real quick too, I think by the end, um, of it being in theaters, it was like in 500 theaters at that point. So oh, wow. yeah, so at the end it was in more theaters, but still. With the ratings, Rotten Tomatoes, 94% uh, of critics liked it with an average rating of 8.6 out of 10. So pretty good, I like it. And then this is pretty cool, the audience had the same exact score. So 94% of the audience gave it a 3.5 or higher with an average rating of 4.5 out of five with mm -hmm. 50,000 ratings. So we don't see that often when it's a match like that. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I always scroll down on Rotten Tomatoes just to see some of like the top reviews and see if there's any like rotten or how many fresh. So there was 19 rotten uh, reviews and there's 278 fresh, but there was one rotten on here that said the film has potential, but ultimately there's more bark than bite. I disagree with that. Who the fuck? That was from Candace Frederick on... Real talk online. I was like, "What the fuck?" Candace Frederick is trash. So. Yeah, I don't agree with you, Candace. <laughs> More bark know. than bite. Like she really <laughs> wanted J.K. Simmons like come out and just bite the motherfucker. Yeah, I'm serious. I'm like, this motherfucker is biting the entire movie. Like, what are you talking about? Like, he's insane. And then there was this one uh, fresh rating I thought was kind of cool. It's J.K. Simmons completely owns his role. It's scary, bordering psychotic, and worth his Oscar win. I couldn't agree more. So, yeah. IMDb 8.5 out of 10. I feel like IMDb is just. It's always tougher, man. They never give the same kind of rating. What was the average score on Rotten Tomatoes? From the critics, it was 8.6. So I guess it's pretty okay. relatively close. Yeah. I guess when you see like 94% and then, you know, whatever. But mm -hmm. you're right. It's, it's relatively close. And there was over 748,000 reviews on IMDb. The demos are, you know, 
pretty similar. I think the lowest is uh, males, 45 and plus, gave it an 8.1. Uh, and then also males 18 and under gave it the highest eight, at 8.9. So it did pretty well across all the demos. It looks like the median score was a 9. So out of all the scores, they got a lot of 9s. But yeah, that's the reviews. All right. Uh, so Jason, take us behind the scenes. Okay, so this film is somewhat autobiographical. According to an article in The Hollywood Reporter, uh, director Damien Chazelle, who also directed La La Land and First Man, was a drummer in the high school jazz band at Princeton High School in New Jersey, which, according to them, this is a great school. Very prestigious, uh, very competitive. So I never heard of it, but um, I don't know many high schools. Uh, some consider Damien a prodigy. So both of his parents were college professors, so something similar to what we see in the movie, as his dad's a professor. But Damien claims to also have had abusive instructors throughout his years as a musician in high school. Uh, he remembers being bullied by the instructors, being embarrassed behind his drum set, and getting so frustrated that he punched through one of the drum heads on his kit. So when we see that scene, he actually yeah. did that when he was younger. Um, I understand that frustration. Um, J.K. Simmons, who plays Terrence Fletcher, the instructor in the movie, has many lines that Damon remembers hearing over the years, like, you are rushing, you are dragging, and not my tempo. Um, so I was just saying, like, I remember, like, in high school when we were playing, like, they had a huge speaker, and they hooked up a metronome to it, so it would, like, keep time. So they talk about beats per minute. So it was, like, 100 beats per minute, it would click, like, 100 beats per minute, but they would have it on a speaker. So it's, like when you were rushing or dragging you, you could, could you could tell it, and yeah. they can tell and then they would just call your ass out and sometimes just make you feel bad for doing that uh, i'm trying to be nice about it uh when he got so damien chazel went to harvard uh he continued to play music but he knew that his real passion was filmmaking by this point he started shooting scenes of actual musicians around harvard uh instead of actors to get the authenticity um, he then went to L.A. with his raw footage and created an 82-minute film called Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. It was entered into a few festivals where it went over well uh, and had a limited release in six theaters. From there, he considered himself a writer for, uh, a writer for hire. Um, so he wasn't getting a lot of directing roles. He was just trying to pay the bills. So he did some work on The Last Exorcism Part 2. It wasn't really his style, but like he said, he was just trying to pay the bills at that point. Damien Chazelle says, even after 10 years of being graduated from high school, the abuse from his band teacher still haunted him. He says, quote, the thought entered my mind to make a movie about how fucking scared I was. I wanted to make a movie about the different side of music, about the fear and anguish of it, end quote. Uh, Damien wrote the script in a few weeks uh, for Whiplash, but kept editing it over the next year. He claims no one wanted to touch it except Jason Reitman. Uh, Jason Reitman's a director, screenwriter, producer. He did stuff like Juno, Up in the Air, Thank You for Smoking. Uh, and then also Bloomhouse Productions uh, uh, was willing to help Chazelle out. So Bloomhouse has done Halloween, Black Klansman, Insidious, The Purge. Bloomhouse and Reitman were given the script from producer Helen Estabrook, who also worked on Tolly, Up in the Air, and who lives at home, uh, who was Reitman's producing partner at Right of Way Films. But what they ran into was um, an issue of financing. So their game plan was, and this was Reitman's idea, that the best way to get financing was to give financers a taste of the movie. Reitman persuaded Damien to make a short of the film out of his 85-page script to gain interest from financers. 
Um, Damien's vision was to shoot it like a thriller, like a sports movie, so that's what he did. And they created an 18 minute short that included a lot of the same actors that we see in the full length feature of Whiplash, including J.K. Simmons, but not Miles Teller. Uh, Miles Teller was shooting Divergent at the time, so they used someone named Johnny Simmons, who has no relation to J.K. Simmons. He played Andrew Neiman in the short. Did anyone watch the short? No. Didn't know it existed. Okay, I didn't know it existed before doing the research too. Um, It's like the exact scene of the first time that Andrew plays in the studio band. So, and like J.K. Simmons hurls the chair at his head. So it's that scene. It's just, um, it's just like right when Neiman sits down. That's that's, it's 18 minutes long. So, a lot of the lines are very similar, but I like Miles Teller better. I think Johnny Simmons did okay, but I think Miles Teller knocks it out of the park, so I'm glad they went with him. Uh, Johnny Simmons, though, he, he has some other accolades. He's been in Evan Almighty, Scott Pilgrim, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, so he has his own career as well. The short uh, won the 2013 Sundance Jury Award. After winning, financing was no longer an issue. The independent finance company called Bold Films, which also did Nightcrawler, provided, the like Mugga was saying, the $3.3 million to make the full-length film. From the start... Uh, even with the short, Damien wanted to cast Miles Teller, and now with the financing and the green light for the film, he approached Teller again, and Teller agreed, saying, quote, I love the intensity of the script. Teller was a better-known name and had some drumming experience, too. So that's what kind of sold them on Miles Teller over Johnny Simmons. Teller's schedule was pretty packed at the time, though, so he wasn't available until September of 2013, only a couple months before the Sundance deadline in November. Uh, so because of the timing, Teller's schedule, and the budget, Damien concluded he would have to shoot the film in 19 days, the crew having to work 14 to 18-hour days. Jeez. So wow. they did the whole shoot in 19 days. So I saw, I think IMDb said 18 hours, and then a couple of the articles said 14, so I put 14 to 18. Uh, still pretty intense either way. Uh, they filmed primarily in Santa Clarita and L.A. with some shots in New York for setting. Um, they also used the Hotel Barclay, the Palace Theater, and Orpheum Theater. Am I saying that right? Orpheum? Yeah. Yeah. Chazelle had every detail of the shoot mapped out on 150 hand-drawn storyboards. Damien says, quote, the pace was beyond feverish. Every set change was like a mad dash, end quote. This would allow for a month of editing to produce a cut to enter into the festival. Ten weeks from start to submission. That's insane. That's crazy. crazy. I thought that was crazy, too. And for it to be as good as it is in 10 weeks, you know? Yeah. Again, some of this information was very contradictory when I was looking it up from one source to another. So I'm going to kind of like share a couple different views on it. So one, some of the information I was looking up says one of the big hurdles that they had to overcome was that Teller, uh, Miles Teller knew how to drum, but was far from a prodigy. Although he did start drumming when he was 15. So he had some chops. Um, he was still like mid 20s at this point, but Damien Chazelle was also a drummer. So when Teller got back into town after Divergent or whatever he was shooting, uh, Damien actually lent him his own Yamaha drum set. Um, they put it in Teller's basement, and Damien, alongside um, another one of the actors in the movie, uh, Nate Lang, as Carl Tanner. So he's the first studio drummer. He's the one that um, Miles Teller loses the, the folder with, that guy. He's a professional drummer, too, so they both gave Teller lessons to like get him caught up real fast. Teller did four-hour lessons three days a week to prepare, and all the drumming was performed by Miles Teller. This is according to, I believe, IMDb. And 40% of Miles Teller's drumming was utilized in the soundtrack. Jeez. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, 
because according to an endorexpress.net article, it was actually a man by the name of Bernie Dressel who played the drums for the soundtrack. Uh, he's played drums uh, for shows like The Simpsons, Family Guy, The Sopranos. He did it for The Mask and our favorite, Elf. So I don't know which one is true. I also read that they did use a double visually for Teller at some points. I think when they do the overhead shots. Um, but it, it, some of it's contradictory. I don't know. Um, or sorry, conflicting. Uh, one fun fact was that Damien Chazelle actually got into a car wreck during the last week of filming where he totaled his car and sent him to the hospital with a possible concussion. He was back on set the next day saying there was no room for error. Uh, the film would premiere at Sundance Festival on January 16th, 2014. Um, Sony Pictures Classic quickly bought the distribution rights for $3 million. So that's the behind the scenes on the movie. Damn. Um, so getting the casting. Um, so Miles Teller as Andrew Neiman. What do you guys think? Great. Great. I thought he did a great job, too. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. I remember him from War Dogs. What about uh, Fantastic Four? Fantastic Four. He's I'll- in the, the horrible one with... Michael B. Jordan, right? Yeah. I never yeah. even saw that one. I didn't see it either. When I saw it, it had 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't watch it. I didn't rush out. Um, and he was also in The Divergent and Top Gun Maverick. We're going to see him in, so that'll be cool. He appears in every scene of this movie. So in every scene, he's in it, which I thought was kind of cool. A actor by the name of Dane DeHaan turned down the role. He was in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Lawless, The Kid, True Blood. So there was some other people up for it, but... It sounds like Chazelle really wanted Teller. Another cool fun fact was some of the blood on the drum set was actually his, uh, just playing so intensely. Chazelle wouldn't call cut a lot of the times during the drumming scenes so that Teller would get really exhausted. So when we wow. see him like really like sweaty and dripping sweat and shit, like he's really doing that. And then one last thing was, I, I just noticed this, like, on Miles Teller, he's like a lot of scars. I've never noticed his it. Neck and his neck and his face and stuff. Lindy looked it up during, the, it is from a car accident, right? Yeah. Um, I've Miles, never seen it, though, on him before, none of the other movies I've seen him in. Now, I've never watched the Divergent series, but I watched War Dogs. I don't remember it at all in there. You should go back and watch it. Is it there? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Miles Teller was involved in a devastating car crash um, before his acting career. So, that's all. It's some more wow. car crash, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's what I got on Miles Teller. Um, so, J.K. Simmons as Terrence Fletcher. Here we go. <laughs> Knocked it out of the freaking park, it's man. Ridiculous. He, it, he's so intense in this. Um, J.K. Simmons, he's been in a lot of things. He was in Oz, uh, Spider-Man, Juno. So he's been in a lot of different things. Um, well, let's not forget his insurance commercials, too. <laughs> was it Allstate? Uh, yeah. yeah. No, Farmers. Farmers. F- farmers, farmers. Farmers, yeah. yeah. I was going to put that in here, but I forgot to look it up, and I couldn't remember <laughs> which one. Um, he, uh, he actually plays the piano and retook lessons to prepare for this role. He won 47 awards for his role as Fletcher. Jesus. Yeah. I thought one scene was kind of cool where... He's talking about, you know, is he rushing or dragging? And he's slapping Miles Teller. Yeah. So I guess, like, he ghosted a lot of the slaps, but the last scene, he really slapped the shit out of Miles Teller. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> um, when meeting with J.K. Simmons, Damien Chazelle told him, quote, I want you to take it past what you think the normal limit would be, telling him, I don't want to see a human being on screen anymore. I want to see a monster, a gargoyle, an animal, end quote. I thought that was, he definitely did that. Yeah. One fun fact is during filming, J.K. Simmons suffered two cracked ribs when Miles Teller tackled him during the last two days of shooting. Um, Simmons managed to continue working despite his injury. So when he tackles him on that stage, he actually cracks two of his ribs. I was like, oh, shit. 
Moving on, Paul Reiser as uh, Jim Neiman. I didn't get a lot of fun facts about him, but he, he was also in Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2, which I remember him in. He's in Mad About You and Stranger Things. So um, still working. And then moving on, Melissa Benoit as Nicole. Um, she's the movie theater employee and Teller's girlfriend for a minute. She was in Glee, Lowriders, Patriot State, and Jane and Silent Bob Reboot. Uh, she appears as the fourth credit on the movie, but is only on screen for 10 minutes. Mm. Austin Stowell as Ryan Connolly. I thought this guy was like a doucher, man. Um, he's, <laughs> he's in Dolphin Tale 1 and 2, and also Bridge of Spies. Uh, he had no drumming experience and only had one month to prepare. Uh, again, Chazelle and uh, Nate Tanner helped him train. And then lastly, Nate Lang as Carl Tanner. Um, he has no other movie credits, but like I said, he trained like Miles and Austin to, to do the drumming, so I thought that was kind of cool. So I have a little bit about the soundtrack score. Um, there's three different parts to the soundtrack that include the score written for the film. Uh, there's an original jazz piece written for the film, and the score was done by Justin Hurwitz, who has uh, worked with Damien on most of his projects, including La La Land, so he has a, he, he's done a lot of stuff with Damien. Um, I want to get in some fun facts. Um, Miles Teller imitates Buddy Rich a lot throughout the film. If you don't know who Buddy Rich is, he's a famous drummer. Uh, he's also known for having a short temper and braiding his bandmates. So uh, they kind of mix the two there. The screenplay for the film was f- featured in the 2012 Blacklist, a list of the most liked unmade scripts of the year. It was also included in Steven Schneider's 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. So a lot of people are digging this movie. I want to look up some a little bit about some of the stuff they talk about. The first is like the actual piece of music, Whiplash. The chart was performed uh, in the film, is referred to by jazz players as a time chart, a piece with an unconventional time signature. So like in music, when you see other sheets of music, like a lot of stuff is probably like 4-4. So there's four quarter notes in each measure. This one is written in 14-8. So it means there's 14 eighth notes um, per measure. So uh, it's just, you can tell the timing's a little different than like a standard rock song, so that's why they call it a time chart, and it makes it more difficult to play and keep time. They also talk about this story about Charlie Parker throwing the cymbal at Joe Jones, or maybe the other way around, um, but the, the description's inaccurate. The drummer Joe Jones did indeed throw a cymbal in response to Parker's playing, but he did not throw it as a physical attack on Parker. He simply threw it on the stage floor. So he didn't throw it at him, he just threw it on the, on the floor. Jazz historians have also said that this was not a response to poor performance, like Fletcher says, but because the older musicians disapproved of the fast improvisations uh, Parker was playing, that's why he threw it at him. So they, didn't, they weren't digging his style. They also talk about Bird, that uh, nickname. Um, There are two theories on how Charlie Yardbird Parker actually got his name. One was he lived as a free bird, or the more commonly accepted one too. um, When touring with Jay McShann, they accidentally hit a chicken, a Yardbird, with their car, and Parker made them stop to pick it up so he could have his landlady cook it for him. So I don't know which one you want to believe, why he has his nickname Bird. Probably don't care, but those are the two theories. And then one thing I thought was funny was um, this is a Sony Classics picture, but I just see Samsung cell phones. So there's no Sony cell phones. Do people have (laughs) Sony cell phones? So this is 2014. Yes. So I still think Sony Ericsson was still around or holding on by a thread. I just felt like they they hone in on Miles Teller's cell phone a lot when he's watching the videos, listening to the music. Um, But it's a Samsung, so 
thought it was funny. Um, and then lastly, I'm just gonna get to some of the accolades because there's a lot of them. So I pulled these off of Wikipedia. Um, so like we said before, in 2013, they won the Sundance Jury Award at the Sundance Film Festival for the 18-minute the short. They won again with their full-length feature at Sundance in 2014 as well. Whiplash was originally planned to compete for the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, but on January 6, 2015, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the AMPAS, announced that the film would instead be competing in the adapted screenplay category. Um, the reason that they did this was because of the short that preceded it. So instead of being original, it had to be an adapted one because it's from the short. Which I thought was kind of BS, it personally. Like, yeah, it sounds like crap. It's just like... How is it adapted from the short? The short was created to sell the original. Like, yeah. So yeah. So the Writers Guild of America categorized the screenplay as original, but the AMPAS class it as an adaptation um, of the 2013 short version. Which again, I'm not digging that, but it is what it is. Um, at the 87th Academy Awards, J.K. Simmons received the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance. Tom Cross won the Academy Award for Best Film Editing, and Craig Mann. Ben Wilkins and Thomas Curley won the Academy Award for Best Sound Mixing. In December 2015, the score received a Grammy nomination as well. But those are some of the accolades. I was going to put all 47 that Fletcher got nominated for. Or, so I was like, we'll just leave it at that. So that's what I got for behind the scenes. Yeah, all those accolades, that could be like an extra credit or something. It could be. So I was like, I'm just going to hone on these ones and call it a day. Yeah, Doug, when I was looking up like the list over the week, I was just like, I was like, damn, I knew this movie was good, but I had no idea like it got this many nominations. Yeah, I mean, even from the blacklist thing to, you know, everything, it's just, there's so many. Now, let's get into our trash and treasure. Uh, Mugga, what is your trash and treasure so, today? Like I said, I did not have any treasure while I was, I mean, I trashed while I was watching this, so I kind of had to make stuff up just to check the box off, so I'm really going to go fast with this. Um, I don't like that he doesn't end up with the girl at the very end. I know Jason and I got into conversation like but that's not what he's about I get it I just I don't know for some reason I'm, I'm just trying to find some trash here yeah. and then the only, only other one I feel like when they're performing on stage that's like the game time mode right you have to have your concentration Miles Teller's character loses it that one where he's and he ends up fighting J.K. Simmons on the actual stage mm. I just feel like I don't know if that would have happened that far I know there might have been a, an exchange of words but to have an actual fight. I, I don't know. I just feel like he wouldn't have lost his composure that much in front of an audience. Again, that's my only trash. That's all I'm picking, you know. Um, I'm going to go very, very vanilla on the treasure because, again, when I watched it, I was just engaged and I wasn't writing everything down. And I'll let you guys do some more. Um, the opening scene, I think, sets the tone from the movie. You see his character. You're like, this guy's intense, but you really don't know how intense he is. Um, when you see J.K. Simmons for the second time when he shows up right at 9 o'clock, right, the way he busts open the doors, it's just like a boss. So his entrance... Like, I kind of laughed. I was like, dude, that guy is badass. Um, and then you start off with, oh, someone's out of tune. And I just love, like, the mind games that he plays where he's very calm, is out of tune. He goes, then why the fuck did you say so? And then when reality, he goes, by the way, he wasn't out of tune. You were. But he didn't know it. And that was even worse. I just, like, <laughs> the guy was just always five steps ahead of all these kids, you know? Um, I like Miles Teller's reference of he would rather be uh, an overdose person in his 30s from the 1920s that someone still today is talking about at a dinner table as opposed to some sort of seven-year-old. I, I thought that was a great way to explain why he has the passion. And then the, the, the last scene that's on stage, you can kind of tell that they hate each other, but they're making a great song at the moment, you know, at the very end. I thought the editing and the directing of how they went back and forth with like the cuts and the angles 
along with the music. I, I just very creative. I mean, the entire time I was just like on like the edge of my seat watching it. It was just, it was, it was really cool. So yeah, that's just my trash and treasure. I mean, I know we can always, everything that J.K. Simmons does in this movie is a treasure, but I didn't want to nitpick it. So in theory, like him as well. But yeah, that's my, my trash and treasure. All right, Eric, what's your trash and treasure? All right, well, similar to Mug, I didn't really have a lot of trash. Uh, really, this first trash is not really trash, but just like the constant tension, like the anxiety that I had. Like, it's part of what made it a great movie, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a bad feeling. And then there's this other scene. It was at the very end, like that whole sequence, and it kind of flashes to Paul Reiser's character, and he's like peeking through the door and like looking at his son kind of like going off. And I don't know, it just seemed kind of awkward to me, <laughs> kind of creepy maybe. Um, treasures like all the music all the jazz I'm like a, a casual jazz fan I can't say I'm like a huge fan but I, I do enjoy jazz all, all the music was amazing the dinner party scene where Andrew is like with his family I think it's like his aunt and uncle and cousins and they're kind of like talking down about like his career choice or whatever and then he just goes off and like demolishes his cousins and like their career choices specifically the part where he tells his cousin who's like a football player it's like it's just D3 man it's like it's Division 3 <laughs> I, I thought that was hilarious like I played football in college and I played at basically D3 level so it was funny to me um <laughs> I actually really liked the part where he tackled Schaefer and like really? they got in a fight. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I, that was one of my treasures. And then there, there's this moment at the very final scene where they're where Andrew's just kind of ad libbing the drum solo in between the sets, and he's like mouthing like "f you" to Schaefer while he's just jamming out. And I, I thought that was really cool too. Mm, yeah, I can kind of say "fuck you." <laughs> Oh, when he but hits wanna, him with the symbol? Yeah. Oh, I want to bring it. So you, you said that there was like an uneasy feeling throughout the whole movie. It's not the same as like, like we were talking about yesterday, like Basketball Diaries. Have you seen that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio? It's pretty intense as well as like Rec Room for a Dream. So like Rec Room for a Dream, right? It's not that type of anxiety though. Because to me, that's like, it's a great movie, but I don't ever want to watch that really again. Whereas this movie, like I really, it's intense, but I want to, I want to be like kind of Jason, hey, come check out this movie real quick, you know, and watch. <laughs> that's how I feel. I mean, it's anxiety, but not like bad anxiety. Is that, am I wrong for saying that or? It's it's not a movie that leaves you like, that was a great experience, but I never want to watch it again. Right. But this no, this is the kind of movie where it's just like, I have to show people yeah. this movie. Yeah. It's that good. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, just, I, I think they, uh, they purposely like shot it as like a psychological thriller, yeah. which I think is, is what they were going for. So that tension is what they wanted. I mean, I just had to pick a trash and my anxiety is bad. So <laughs> I just got to say one thing about that dinner scene. I just think it's hilarious when the one cousin's like talking to Miles Teller and he's like, you think it's so easy. Why don't you come play with us? And he's like four words you will never hear from the NFL. And I was like, that is fucking awesome. I was yeah. dying at that. All right, uh, my trash and treasure, just like y'all, like I don't really have a lot of trash. I mean, my one trash is just like, Miles Teller, you know, Andrew, please get a smaller V-neck. Like that thing is like, <laughs> that thing looks like a, like a used dish rag hanging off his body, bro. Like he's got the holes in it. It's just, you know that, you know those shirts that you don't wear anymore right. that you like wash the interior of your car in? Like that's what that looks like. Like it's, that's what he looks like he's wearing. Um, you know, that first drummer, the, the core group, when he first goes to Fletcher's class, uh, he, he's like, like a dick. Like I like, I like the drummer and to, to find out that he's not an actor is actually surprising because I did like his performance because even when Fletcher, Fletcher is tearing uh, Andrew apart, you can see the subtle satisfaction in his face knowing that like, oh, my seat is safe, my seat is safe. So I wanna give uh, that drummer props because I thought he was just a straight up actor that was just good at conveying you know, saltiness and jealousy, but like, I was like, oh shit, like, you're not an actor at all like after you described that today, like, so I gotta give him props. And um, 
the constant green shirt. He just looks like an evil Steve from Blue's Clues. Like that's all I could think of the whole time. You know, I was just like, hey man, go sit in your thinking chair and think. Um, then um, I think uh, kind of like what you mentioned, Eric, just like the condescending nature of that family dinner. You know, that sucks, like kind of kind of putting people down like that. So um, I did not like uh, the cousins and the uncle or whatever, but like I did like that Miles Teller like fired back. You know, he got a little, got a little extra towards the end, but like I did like that he, he fired back and kind of put them in their place. Like, hey man, I'm, I'm actually trying to do something too. You're actually trying to do something too. Like it's not comparable to sport. Like if you want to put things up to a comparison, like I am a D1, you know, athlete, quote unquote. I'm a D1 musician. Like you're not the equivalent of what I am in your own space. So I did like that. He actually kind of put uh, his cousins in their place. Uh, that's it for my trash. Um, my treasure, you know, J.K. Simmons, you know, of course, all the one-liners that he has, I'm just like, geez, it's just like, um, he's like, that's not a fucking Mars bar down there. Stop looking. Um, he's just like, oh, are you crying? What's up with the tears? Do I look like a fucking double rainbow to you? Just, it reminds me of that meme where it's just like, whoa, double rainbow. So um, that shit had me dying. Um, I know I gave Swordfish a bunch of shit for looking just like yellow all the time, but I actually don't mind the color grading in this movie. Um, it's not done to make things look gritty or matrixy here. Uh, I think the color grading actually adds to the anxiety, the claustrophobia, and the sick feeling you get from all the pressure that these musicians are constantly under. I think the constant close-ups implemented in the movies in the movie does this as well, but I think that it just makes you appreciate the time and the effort put into the music because there are a lot of close-ups of instruments with hands, but not people, um, you know, and sometimes we, we zoom out or we can, we can see in a wider shot, but they make sure to do a lot of shots, like cropping everything within the frame to, to kind of uh, exemplify or showcase the amount of, you know, skill and dexterity that these musicians have to have in order to perform these like crazy uh, arrangements. So I, I really do appreciate that. You know, you have music sheets that are constantly scribbled on and crumpled. Um, the rapid cuts that you see uh, during takes and whatnot. Uh, the amount of hallways that make our characters look so small, like they're trapped in a box. Um, I think literally the first shot of the movie is him in a hallway drumming right. and he looks like he's trapped in a box uh the face close-ups faces being partially obscured by objects i think one of the best scenes is when uh he's drumming trying to get uh i think uh, caravan he's practicing the bpm for caravan the 400 bpm one by himself and his hands are bleeding all over the place and uh in the top right of the frame is his face and all you see is the symbol covering up like 70 or 80 percent of the screen and they really sell that claustrophobia and that pressure that he's under um so i really i really love how everything about this movie conveys that as well as the sound you hear every sound in this movie feet water hands wrestling paper just like people chewing like you can hear every sound in this movie and and i think you know it just adds more to that claustrophobia that pressure and i really do appreciate it it's like it's no wonder they got nominated or they won sound editing i believe they i think they won that one yeah, yeah so uh no wonder no wonder there i do like the whole scene where he's like feeling himself the next day after uh having that argument with his cousins at the dinner table and you know he's feeling himself he's like smiling he's got a smirk on jk simmons is giving him praise in the class he's like uh hey uh you know andrew stick around brings in Connolly immediately and he's just like uh yeah uh, i met a guy who was doing double time just like you it's him right here automatically brings him his replacement because he knows that he's getting too comfortable automatically presents a threat to him and he even says it you know i think there's an honest conversation that they have outside of the bar where it's just like hey man like i brought in Connolly because i wanted to push you 
he didn't just bring him in to be an asshole. He's just like, you needed that extra push. You needed to be, um, I forget the name of that other drummer uh, or the trumpeter or whatever that had the cymbal thrown at him. Um, uh, Charlie Parker, Charlie Joe Parker. Jones, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, um, you know, I wanted you to be my Charlie Parker and this is what I had to do to get you there. We all play sports or something. It's just like, you know that dick coach or that dick instructor that sees something in you and you notice that they are harder on you even though you know you're like i'm not doing anything wrong i'm doing everything right but for some reason that coach is like harder on you because they know they can get more out of you like that's literally what jk simmons is doing however he's a fucking psychopath yeah so <laughs> bringing up to that point we have a saying when we were when i was coaching football that if we're not yelling at you then there's there's a reason to panic because we've given up you know what i mean like if we're not at all doing what we need then we've already given up on you like you're kind of worthless yeah so i i did appreciate the the honesty in that last conversation yeah. that they had outside the bar like he's you know he's still got some contempt for him but i think he was being very honest about it he's just like hey man i saw something in you you know you're my brother anakin and i loved you the whole the whole thing is the two worst like words you could say to someone is good job i thought that was pretty cool huh that's like fuck man right there you nailed it right there you yeah, know because then they just plateau yeah and that's it and then um my, my last one um i do love I love that final uh, performance, just how he just owns it. He uh, straight up ad-libs uh, performing Caravan at the very end. I kind of wish Whiplash was the last thing they played. It's the title of the movie or whatever, but they play Caravan. But um, I love how, you know, you have the uh, the synergy between the two. Like, J.K. Simmons is like, you know what? Fuck, like, we're here. Like, we're making something happen. And you can finally see the the recognition in his eyes that he's, like, excited about this guy that he's reached this other level. Like, watching him reach that other level and you know you see him feeling himself he's smiling through through the pain of playing and everything like that and one of my favorite things is like when they're doing the uh the solos to like the brass and the and everything else it goes between conductor swipe over to the drums right. then it goes back to the conductor swipe over to the drums like it just had so much like energy to it and i and i love that final performance but uh that's my trash and treasure it's almost as big as Derek zoolander's blue steel right <laughs> there like there it is <laughs> jason what is your trash and treasure Okay, so I do have some trash, but it's it's bullshit. Too. I want to ask you something after your trash and treasure, but yeah, go ahead because I know where you're going with this. Um, I don't like that J.K. Simmons like busts through the doors on other bands' rehearsals. Although it makes him look like a badass, I just feel like that's really inappropriate. You shouldn't be doing that. It's not professional. When like, does he do that? Unless it's his band. No, he does it when um, the first band that Neiman's in and Connolly's in. Oh, like he just yeah. kind of busts in there, and it's like everyone stops and it's like, "Oh, J.K. Simmons here. We got to like do whatever." But isn't that like the minor leagues of his band? It is. It's just yeah. I, it's just showing saying, how much yeah. of an asshole he is, and it's like, all right, whatever. Um, when Neiman's like tuning his drum set, and the guy's like, "Oh, can you tune to a B flat?" Like he does it in like 15 seconds. Like there's no way you can tune an entire drum set to a B flat just using your ear like that. I totally <laughs> agree. <laughs> You remember that one no, time, remember? I have no idea. <laughs> but he goes to tune it, I'm just like, there's no fucking way. Like, all the sound going on around him, there's no way he can do that. I don't know. I thought that was trash. Again, I'm reaching for some of this. When the horn, like, especially the trombones and stuff, when they go to empty their spit valve and all the spit pours out of it on the floor, it just disgusts the fuck out of me. <laughs> I know it, it, it happens all the time. It just, seeing it up close, like, multiple times throughout the movie, I was like, this is fucking disgusting. When they go to show their feet tapping, like keeping time, I, I appreciate the thought, but everyone's foot is doing something different. Like it, it would be much more impactful if all the feet were tapping the same time, but it's all different. I don't know. Again, I'm being nitpicky. Um, why is his hand bleeding the way it is? 
You're yeah, the drummer. I, was, I don't know. I was going to ask you about that. Like, yeah. There was a lot of blood. So he, the way he holds the sticks is not like, it's not, I, I don't know the exact term for when both your hands are similar. He's holding it traditionally where this, the stick in your left hand rests on your ring finger. So it kind of comes through and that's how he's playing, which is like pretty traditional of like classical jazz players. Mm-hmm. But when, when I played like that, like your, your ring finger gets raw but then it gets callous and then you're fine. Like once you get past that first couple of weeks and you're fine. He has, it's bleeding like up on the meaty part of his hand between his thumb and his index finger. And I don't like, even when they show the clip of it come like from top down, the stick isn't even resting there. It's, it's resting behind the, the wound. I don't know. I've seen people hurt their hands by hitting the rim. So they'll hurt their fingers and they'll be bloody that way. But the top part of his hand, the stick is sitting back i don't know how he does it but maybe it's beyond me maybe it's some other different technique i'm not seeing but I, I don't know some of the drumming is off from the sound i think that kind of bugged me a little bit why doesn't tanner have the music memorized like you're at such a high level according to miles teller you're at the best musical school in the country you cannot memorize a piece like they're not playing 15 pieces of music they're playing a handful like they have that shit memorized what do you guys think about him breaking up with this girl in pursuit of being one of the greats? Okay, so I think it is very honest of him to do so, to get that out of the way and say, hey, I really like you, but I think that in order for me to pursue you know, this dream of mine, I know I'm not going to be the best boyfriend possible in this relationship, and I would rather spare you that than continue on however it is incredibly selfish to assume that she's not willing to make sacrifices on her end for you as well. So I, while I thought it was, you know, I'll give him props for being honest, but like I got to trash this dude for being so selfish that he would just assume that she doesn't have the capacity nor the compassion to follow him along this journey. So I, I think that was total bullshit. Like let her make that decision for herself. I get it if you want to break it up, break it up and it's easier for you, but that conversation was just so one-sided. And I, I didn't like that at all. And I, I felt bad for her character. I, I thought she did kind of say that too. Like, I've already been sacrificing. I'm here. Like, why are you f- still pushing me? I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, maybe that's what you have to do to be great. Like, you have to be super selfish, leave everyone in the dust and have no distractions. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But like, you know, when we watch like Academy Awards and Music Awards and Sports Awards and Championships, like, you know, all the athletes, they're always thinking their families, their significant others. And they're, they always talk about, you know, the sacrifices that were made. Like, you know, my husband or my wife um, worked three jobs so I could go back to school right. or they worked three jobs so I could pursue this little passion of mine until I got as far as I needed to get. Like, there's always talk of that. So my whole thing is just like, who's to say that this, this girl wasn't going to be that for him, you know? And I think I, he didn't even really give her the chance to kind of maybe defend herself or kind of put, you know, put her cards on the table and say, Hey, I'm, I'm a hundred percent down for this. If this is what you want to do, I'm a hundred percent down. Like he didn't even give her the, the opportunity to step up. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Um, I was just curious what your guys' thoughts were. So I appreciate that. Last trash is I don't like all the liquid on the symbols. I don't know why it's cool for effect, I guess, but it's not, it's not real. Like he's not sweating all over it. So I don't know. That's my last trash. My treasure, um, the opening scene, I like how the lighting from above and J.K. Simmons, his physique, he's pretty yeah, ripped he's in this pretty thing. Ripped. He's pretty ripped. Um, I'm going to let you have that one. <laughs> yeah. The score I thought was great. I loved all the music throughout. Some of what, what J.K. Simmons says is just out of control where he says, like, I will fuck you like a pig. 
or for the final father fucking time, like just some of the stuff that he says is out of control. When the core drummer goes off on Neiman for losing the folder, that, that guy that's not really an actor, but he's like a, a good drummer, that was intense, man. Like he fucking flips like on a dime yeah. and starts screaming. I'm like, holy fuck. You would swear this guy's been an actor. Yeah. Like the way he's performing. Like I think he's really good. Like In the short, he's also the core drummer. So, but he's, he takes the seat back for the Neiman character to sit in the seat. And he's like kind of looking around, but like when they do the film, like he's good. You can see the progression. I don't know. I, I think he's pretty good. Um, the joy J.K. Simmons gets out of fucking with Neiman, bringing in Connolly, I think bringing that other drummer, like you can just see the joy in his face because like Neiman, you can just tell is instantly pissed off and like Simmons just gives us like small little smirk. I'm just like, man, he's fucking with this guy so hard bringing him in. That whole scene when the drummers can't play in time and they go hours uh, trying to get the tempo down, I'm just like, I, yeah, I, I understand wanna, that. I want to bring that up because, I mean, you, you have expertise in this type of game. I've experienced, so, yeah. Can you tell the difference of what he's actually looking for? Because they all three sound good to me, and they all, I don't understand what he's looking for. Or is he just mind-fucking them? Or could you actually analyze each of their performances? Like, yep, he's fucking up. He's dragging. He's too fast. He, I mean, could you tell? Or is it just... Because I could not tell the difference. I mean, no. I mean, no one can. Because he hardly gives them the time to right. like even play. So like, he's just fucking with them the entire time. That's all it is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a part where he busts out the cowbell. I forget which which one that was, it might've been the scene earlier, but like he's like keeping time with that. But what they're having to play, it's not even about, it's about being able to play that fast physically. Yeah. And he's just trying to see which one can, but I think it's just a whole mind fuck. Yeah. Like there's no way anyone can listen to that and discern if they're playing, what was it like 315, like 315 beats a minute. That's insanely fast, like there's no way. So I do like the scene cause I think it's interesting. And I like when people cannot figure it out, like, I've had instructors like well, they'll beat it into the ground like really? until you figure it out. Yeah, so it's like it's like Hell Week. Yeah. Oh shit. But it's just like they'll like we they had us march like miles just playing like with this you know with a cowbell or something like that just trying to get our feet in time and playing time and it's like I've experienced stuff like that like it's true. Um, I think when Neiman tells Connolly to fuck off Johnny Utah and turn my pages, bitch, I loved that. Like he just snaps at him. I thought that was one of the funniest things. Uh, it's painful for me, but I liked it to watch him play after the accident. I liked that scene where he's like, dude, I'm fucking doing this. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, even before he tackles him, I just think that whole scene is like, he's going to do this. He comes and sits down. He's bleeding all over the place. He's wiping the blood off his face. And I was like, man, this guy's fucking serious. Another question for you guys. If you're Neiman, would you rat on Fletcher? Oh, as far as uh, being like abusive uh stuff like that i i don't know if i would because i think um yeah there's there's a part uh you definitely played in that you did a uh, tackle and assault him um that was uncalled for you shouldn't have done that um and i can understand that uh you know the way he treats you uh in class i mean look it's like we just said it's just like the the coaches that care about you they're gonna come for your ass yeah. you know what i'm saying and i know this is meant to be a portrayal of like some sort of psychotic instructor but but that's the thing it's just like it's so subjective because like i think if you want it bad enough you'll put up with it and i think a lot of times you can tell when somebody's just trying to push you but you also have to think about people who you know you had one guy commit suicide you don't know what your students are going through you can't always approach everybody the same way there are some people that you're gonna have to get on and then there are some people that you're gonna have to pull aside and have a silent talk with and that will do worlds of motivation 
Like, it's like when you want to put the fear in somebody's heart. It's like, do you get overly aggressive with them or do you pull them aside and have a silent 20 second chat and they're just like, oh shit, I got to get on top of my stuff. Like everybody responds to critique and criticism uh, in different ways and people are motivated by different things. So just the way people respond and what they're dealing with is going to affect how they kind of take in that approach. But I think it's bad on Fletcher's part to make that his only approach with all his students. I agree with what you're saying. Um, but, you know, the scene where I'm guessing it's a lawyer that's sitting down with them, uh, him and his dad. And, like, she's talking about how, like, we don't want Fletcher to be able to do this to another kid ever again. And it's like they go to Neiman and it's like now he has to make an internal decision. Is he going to say, yeah, you know what, Fletcher's an asshole. He's done A, B, and C to me. And this is why I tackled him. Yeah, I agree. Like, he tackled a professor. Like, at the end of the day, yeah, you're going to probably get kicked out of the school. I agree with that. But, like, that internal struggle, it's like, yeah, I had an issue with him. He's probably doing something good. I hate him, but do I want to ruin this person's career? And I think, you know, Neiman held that in his hands, in a sense, and he chose to, you know, essentially rat him out and now get him fired. I just didn't know, like... I thought it was a trash at first, but then if you go to the end scene, you don't get that unless that happens, you know what I mean? True. So that's why it's like, at first I was like, well, then I got to take that back because that end scene where he puts him in a position to ultimately fail rises to the occasion you get the final product that you see at the very end so that's why I quickly withdrew that as my trash and that's why I ended up with no trash after I ended the movie but yeah yeah the only the only reason I'll, I'll kind of still kind of be on the fence about it is because we we had to mention that somebody else had killed themselves yeah. from the amount of pressure so like when you think about that if, if we never mentioned that at all I'd be like come on man don't be don't be a snitch but like because we actually have to deal with the ramifications of you know, uh, any sort of psychological trauma uh, put onto somebody through this training, you kind of have to take it seriously and say like, you know, what if the next person that isn't able to cope with this kind of instruction harms themselves or loses their life over it? Like you kind of have to take that, uh, that preemptive responsibility, you know, cause like, you know, I'm fine. Yeah. I tackled my teacher and, and I'm a fucking dick for doing it. And, you know, I can handle the abuse, so to speak, to a degree, but what if the next guy can't? Like, what can I do to protect that next guy? So I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of seeing both sides of it. I hate to be that both sides kind of person, but yeah. like there are there are two two sides to it, and it is very subjective. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I was kind of struggling with with it myself. Like, what do you do? Because like you're right. Like, someone ended their life because of you know, and and you know, Neiman wasn't. He fought back. It's just people react differently. But like, I could see the struggle, and I think that's why they they kind of cut from that scene. Then they show how it ended up. But I was just curious. So yeah. Um, last two treasures um even though it was like really really painful to watch but when jk simmons fucks over neiman at the carnegie hall performance uh telling the wrong tunes to play i had an experience way dialed down from that but where like some like when i I was like in seventh grade we did jazz band and we each had a tune we were going to play there's like four of us so we kept rotating kind of similar to like these guys well one kid at the very last minute didn't show up so the instructor was like, hey, you got to play this. And I was like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. This is not my tune. And oh, I shit the bed. I shit the bed. Like just, just how Neiman did in this. And I'm like, I don't play, like this is not me. Like I worked on my thing to perfection, not this person's. I was royally embarrassed. And I was like, this guy like fucked me over. I felt fucked over. But um, it's a treasure to you. <laughs> but it, well, I like the paint. I was like, uh, I related to it. I yeah. was like, it's cool that they show this. I was like, I couldn't even imagine. Um, but then the ending solo, Neiman taking over. I thought that was. I mean, you guys all said it. I just thought it was badass. But um, yeah, it's my trash and treasure. 
let's talk about how much we would pay to watch Whiplash. Um, Mugga, how much would you pay? So, I mean, watching this, like I said, there was not one gun that was fired, you know? Not a, I mean, there was the tackling scene, but not, not, no fighting sequence, whatnot. However, the movie is so engaging. It kind of reminded me of like a Steve Jobs, Aaron Sorkin, or, or uh, uh, what's the one with Tom Cruise and... Um, the one with few good men. Yeah, few good men. How mm. a scene could be so intense, yet it's just because of all dialogue. I felt like this whole movie was like that, especially when J.K. Simmons was on on screen. So I, I engaging from start to finish. Um, I, I got to go twenty, especially with the budget, the time frame. I, what you have as the final product of what they is, is amazing to me. I, I'm gonna go twenty. Eric, how much are you paying? Um, I think I'm gonna go with. 1750 just to be conservative (laughs) (laughs) but i i really thought the movie was interesting like the sort of like to me the overarching theme was like trying to decide from the audience perspective like is the method of trying to create greatness like that extreme level is it worth it like to produce one of the greats and i think that's part of the question you're asking like would you rat on them would you not and I think that was that all kind of fits into the question like is it worth it if you can get someone to become that great and I, I don't know I think even the end of the movie kind of leaves you hanging like did he get to that level or did he just break completely like psychotically or you know mentally and it, you don't really know like yes he's doing this amazing drum solo but what happens after that is he a broken person I don't know it's mm-hmm. tough I mean I, I think I want to think that like you can see like the glee and the joy in J.K. Simmons' eyes, like, holy mm. fuck, like I have my Charlie Parker or whatever. Um, that's what I want to walk away thinking. But you're right, I, who knows? Who knows? But you can't give it 1750. You gotta go 15 or 20. That's the that's the, <laughs> it makes you go. So you gotta pick. I can't go 17. Can't. You gotta go 15. That's what makes it hard. <laughs> oh, you were serious about the 17? Yeah, I, was like, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I don't know. I didn't know that rule. <laughs> yeah. Um, we can circle back to you if you want to think about it for a second. Shit, no, I'll give it 20. I don't want to give it 15. There you go. Nice. It makes it a tough question, then, huh? Yeah. 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 But I, I do like that question you're posing, Eric. It's just like, um, is it worth it? And I do, I do like that they leave us hanging because it is subjective because it's just like you kind of want to end it there before any sort of a supposed answer is given because there is no definitive way to achieve that that greatness you know what i'm saying like there is no actual definitive way because i think kind of by showing the accolades and you know everybody's like celebrating and high-fiving at the end and all that other stuff um, i think you validate the abuse the negative aspects of it and i think if you show the failure and the trauma and the you know the ptsd of it all you're invalidating a lot of the positive uh, aspects that go into the motivation. So I like the question you ask, and I think it's really good. And but I do kind of appreciate the director for just cutting it there, cutting it at the high. And we don't need to know what happens next because I think giving that answer would be too preachy on the the writer director's part. I think it would, it would be it would be insensitive to give us a definitive answer of whether or not uh, like all that kind of like abuse and motivation or versus motivation would be worth it. But I think, I think that's an excellent question to ask. But uh, as far as my rating, I'm going to pay 20. Um, amazing movie. Uh, watched it for the second time and I was glued to it the whole time. I, you know, I'm literally making up trash. I talked about a fucking V-neck from my trash. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's what I'm paying. Jason, what about you? 20. I gotta pay 20. Um, I had some trash, like I said, I was reaching for it. But like Eric was saying, just like the anxiety you have or just that, just that feeling you have, like Uncut Gems, I think was a, a one more recently that I had some of that with. 
Um, I know some people didn't like can't that. compare this to no I'm not I'm just saying that it invoked an emotion yeah. like that you don't typically get yeah. from a movie like we we all love Avengers Endgame and I, I, I loved it it's great I'm excited but this made me feel something really different and I'm like oh my god like on the edge of my seat yeah. sometimes like holy fuck this is happening or I can't believe you just said that and uh, I don't know and then the drumming and the whole thing and uh, yeah 20 bucks man well, you want me to do the math or what? Well, if you want. I mean. Yeah, we're going to give this a $20 perfect score. Nice. Wow. Uh, would this movie be even better, though, if Tom Cruise was in it? <laughs> I, I don't know where you put him in. Maybe the dad? I don't know. I could see him. I love J.K. Simmons, but I could, I, I could see Tom Cruise in that role. I don't. Yeah. I don't want him to, to no, take J.K. Simmons' yeah. place, but I think. I think that would have to be the role he plays. He couldn't be the dad. I don't think he could be the dad. About the D three football player. Nah. <laughs> because <laughs> or Connolly or something. Yeah. 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 I could see him as the the first studio drummer. Possibly. Oh, mm, Tanner. Yeah. 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 Sure. Uh, he could be. Um, I, I honestly can't think of anything. He could be the chair that J.K. Simmons throws at Miles Teller. Sure. <laughs> he could be. He could be the dad of the the little girl in the we hallway. We could just say though that if it's a twenty dollar, we don't. It's perfect the way it is. We don't need to put Tom Cruise in it. You know. Like, uh, that's true. Well, could, we don't. We don't have to. Yeah. yeah. But I. The only role I could see him in uh, is J.K. Simmons' role because I think he can bring. The, I think him no. Out. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. take him out. Yeah. That's the only role I can see him in. Yeah. And I think. I think he could bring that intensity. I think he. Yeah. Like, you know the intensity he had in a few good men in that courtroom scene. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. he could bring yeah. that. So that's it for me. But uh, cool. Twenty dollars. Anybody uh, got anything else they want to say? No. Nope. All right. And uh, the words of Tom Cruise. Uh, that's not my fucking tempo. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Twenty Dollar Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's 2-0, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. Classical jazz pieces. The score was done by Justin, I'm going to butcher this, Hurtitz. Am I have that right? Sorry. I heard it was her tits. Her tits? The guy that played before Miles Teller. What is it? Johnny Simmons? That's what you're saying? I thought at first when you said it, was like, you said Johnny Sins? I go, that is not a good name for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know what whiplash you're watching, but it's <laughs> not this one. <laughs>